Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast that reviews and analyzes the films of action star Dolph Lundgren. Today we're going back to 2001 and taking a look at the high-tech espionage thriller Hidden Agenda. In this film, Lundgren plays Jason Price, a former government agent who runs an underground network that helps high-profile witnesses disappear. Yet when a mysterious hitman infiltrates Price's program and starts eliminating his witnesses, Price races to discover the identity of the assassin before he becomes the next target. Dolph Lundgren is back as special agent in charge of a complex protection network. The most sophisticated in the world. Providing protection and new identities. If there's a match, you'll get birth certificates, passports, subscriptions, and on to the next link. To key witnesses of the state. If he gets through without mistakes, his trail will forever be erased. He'll be a ghost. But opposing forces. I swear, I'm going to catch up with you. Rival agencies sharing a private moment. How touching. Blur the lines. Did this. Between friend and foe. He stays in your custody. He gets killed. You always warm up to everyone this quickly, Connie. And someone on the inside. He put his pants down in front of a lot of people. He wants a payback. He's playing both sides of the game. He's not who she says she is. Sonny was playing both sides against each other. Make sure you leave no trace of him. Why'd you do it? Penetrate your system. Codes received were all in order. No penetration. Who did you talk to, Jerry? No one! Who? No one! Where's my money? Behind door number one. Hidden Agenda. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and returning to help me discuss this one is my buddy and now show regular, Craig Cohen of the Slycast. Craig, how's it going, man? Good, and, and that sounds like an amazing movie. Uh, I'm, I'm worried I watched the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't know if you listened to the previous episode, but this is actually a step above Agent Red, mainly because uh, this one, at least to my knowledge, from what I could tell, this one does not employ any stock footage whatsoever. So, mm. uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, a, a mutual friend of ours, I, I was talking to him a couple weeks ago, uh, Doug Greenberg of the, uh, the Rocky minute, you know, he said something that I think, uh, is, is so apt for this one. You know, when it comes to discussing films, I think it's so much more fun discussing and picking apart a bad film than it is a traditionally good film. Would you agree? Oh yeah. And I know it's a little bit of a cliche to do this, but, um, I think to help, uh, help <laughs> digest the film and make it go down a little bit easier. Um, I am going to be, uh, <laughs> uh, cracking a beverage. I am currently, uh, drinking a, Breck Lager, uh, made by Breckenridge Brewery. Um, but you are not uh, drinking for this one, right? No, I'm actually, um, I had some dental work recently, so I'm on uh, some pain meds and uh, antibiotics. So it's it's probably a similar uh, experience <laughs> being a little tipsy. Well, you know, <laughs> that, that, that's well said. Yeah, no, I would agree. But, you know, what's interesting is this particular film, uh, I've said it before, but this film came out during a particularly difficult period in Lundgren's career. Not many of the films had much going for them, despite the fact that um, Dolph was teamed with some very talented and promising directors. Um, you know, Bridge of Dragons is directed by Isaac Florentine, who's gone on to be uh, one, one of the, the best uh, names, I think, uh, directing in the action genre today. And then The Last Patrol was directed by Sheldon Lettich, who helmed quite a few of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's films. Um, but, you know, as I'm sure you can, uh, you can see in analyzing the films in uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone's canon. You know, unfortunately, when the budget is limited and the writing just really isn't that great, this can affect the end result of the film. 
Oh, yeah, totally. You know, talent can only take you so far. Well, and I mean, if you if you take a look, uh, okay, if you want to compare Mr. Sylvester Stallone to uh, to Lundgren around this period, you know, Stallone was, he was falling on some pretty hard times, if you really think about it. If you look at Stallone from about 2000 to 2003, 2004, he was putting out, uh, what was it? Avenging Angelo and oh, yeah. I see you. I mean, you know, I actually, yeah. I actually kind of dig I see you. I think I see you is an okay movie. Yeah. And um, shade. Yeah. And shade. Yeah. <laughs> and so these were films that were going direct to video. So, I mean, if you really think about it, and actually, if you want to go to um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he had um, uh, end of days, which, which is okay. But um, then he also did the sixth day and, and the sixth days yeah. and collateral damage. And those, I mean, <laughs> They're okay films, but they're not they're not the best. So I mean, if if you really think about it, if guys like Stallone and Arnold are not getting the best scripts coming their way, you can only imagine what a guy like Lundgren is getting. Oh sure. But the other thing with, with Schwarzenegger at least, he avoided the straight to DVD um purgatory because he got into politics. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, you know, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, because uh he kind of went out on a on a high note. He did Terminator 3, which I think was a pretty strategic move on his part. He wanted he wanted his final film before he went into politics to be a film that he was going to be remembered for, I think in a lot of ways. And yeah, like you said, he was he was smart in the fact that he was able to avoid um, the direct-to-video stuff. Had he not gone into politics, I think he would have followed uh, Mr. Stallone and all these other guys, and we would have seen him dabbling in some direct-to-video stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, and, and I actually think that Terminator 3 was a little bit of a, a political move as well, because I know he pushed really hard to film that in California, which was a really big deal at the time. So I think that gave him a little bit of clout politically to say, hey, look, I brought this huge production to California. I'm going to bring other movies back to California, which is still a really, really expensive state to film in. Well, if only uh, if only Hidden Agenda could have been filmed in uh, in California. This is a uh, this is very much a Canadian oh. film. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. But totally. uh, <laughs> no, normally, it's it's based on the the cast that you see. You know, um, there are a lot of really super talented Canadian actors out there, but. I don't know what it is, but you can instantly tell um, a Canadian production over a um, a U.S. you know production, you know, or or a production that was made uh, you know south of Canada. Well, and most of I mean I don't want to say all of, but most of Lundgren's films um, around the you know mid to late nineties, early two thousands were all pretty much shot in Canada. I, I don't know kind of what the uh, what was going on to, you know, make those decisions. But yeah, most of them were being filmed in Canada. And I mean, like you said, you can tell pretty much right from the get go. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, but, but how exactly did you pick up on it? That this was a Canadian production. Again, I, I think it's the, it's the actors and I, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm sure if I put in a movie from 2001, you know, that was on this same level and it was made in the States, I might not be able to, to pick it out. But, you know, to me, it always seems like the talent is noticeable and, and I don't want to I, I don't want to put down the film too much. But it seems to me sometimes like the Canadian productions have a little bit more like they almost feel like glorified TV movies. Yeah, yeah I was I'm most glad you said that because this feels like a made for TV movie, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the budget speaks to that, but also um, just the overall feel of it. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like something you could have watched on on sci-fi in 2001. Yeah. Well, that was actually going to be one of my points because I feel like even to this day, this film – okay, so this – actually, if we want to back up a bit. This came out, um, at least here in the States, this was released direct-to-video. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> but it was released direct-to-video in February of 2002. And I feel like back then when it was released – and even to this day, I feel like really only two groups of people ever saw this then and are ever really going to see it now. I think obviously the hardcore Lundgren fans and the, and the completists are going to check it out. Um, but I also feel like this has the feel of being one of those films um, that is airing super late on a Saturday night on Showtime. And so oh. those who are those who are staying up late uh, checking out Showtime. Um, are going to be checking out this. This really has that feel. Yeah, and and I think also if, if you look at the time that this came out, 
I mean, it was really probably the height of direct to video filmmaking. I, I can't think of another time where, you know, DVD really opened up a lot of markets for lower budget films where, you know, your, your options were really limited prior to the home video market really exploding. And it really didn't explode until, until DVD. So I kind of feel like 98 to 2002 or 2003 is probably the glory, uh, you know, the, the golden age for, for straight to, you know, straight to video releases. And, you know, Dolph Lundgren, he was, um, I would say he was uh, one of the first action stars to really capitalize on the direct-to-video market. And you got to give the guy credit because if you look at all the other guys who were, you know, doing direct-to-video action around this time, Dolph is really the only guy who is still doing it and still staying at it. I mean, if you look at them, uh, just going down the list, uh, Jeff Speakman, Michael Dudikoff, Brian Bosworth, all those guys pretty much uh, hung it up. After after so many years, but Dolph, he's he's still going at it, and I feel like that's something you gotta respect and you gotta give him some major props for that. Oh, totally, and and I also think that the action genre really benefited from straight to video uh, or the straight to video distribution model um, for whatever reason. You know, you didn't see a lot of you know period dramas or or. You know, I think it was mainly action movies and like low budget comedies. Right. Well, and I mean, we should probably let the listeners know um, how this came about. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's not like you, Craig, uh, came to me saying, hey, uh, you know, there's this movie Hidden Agenda. I really, really want to discuss this one with you. Um, I, that would have been great if that's what that was the case. But um, <laughs> but no, basically, we got to talking and uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to have you back on. You said, well. What era are you at? And I said, well, he did this little film called Hidden Agenda. Have you heard of it? Um, you said no. And thankfully, it was available at, on Amazon Prime, yeah. as are so, so many of the other films in uh, Lundgren's uh, filmography around this period. But, you know, what? what's interesting, one of the things that I love about, you know, doing this show is exposing people to Lundgren's work that they may not have seen. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when we were discussing uh, Johnny Mnemonic over a year ago, you know, you were familiar with Lundgren's work and were a semi-fan, but I remember talking to you and you said, yeah, I saw like, you know, the early stuff, the stuff that I think he's probably known for, you know, obviously Rocky Four and The Punisher and Universal Soldier. But then I remember you said a lot of the direct-to-video stuff that he did afterwards I have never seen. And so that was one of the things I thought, okay, well, if Craig wants to come back on, I'm going to, I'm going to expose him to, to one of these, one of these little films. And, um, I don't know, hopefully he'll, uh, he'll enjoy it. So, well, the the one thing I can say for a movie like this is I think with credits, it was like 94 minutes. So it's not a hard movie to watch. You know I mean? It's not like, you know, two hours and 10 minutes or something. I mean, any any 90 minute movie you can pretty much you know suffer your way through if you need to <laughs> well and i remember i did give you a heads up uh before you started watching it i said look it gets pretty confusing i mean it's pretty convoluted and it's it's trying to do that i mean i don't know if you picked up on this or not but this this film it's desperately trying to be one of those quote unquote smart action thrillers. Do you remember when these were these oh. smart action thrillers were coming out? Like the thinking man's action movie, pretty oh, much yeah. like Mission Impossible, Sneakers, all those. Yeah, yeah. Or even like conspiracy uh theory with Mel Gibson or um the one with uh, Will Smith and Gene Hackman. Um Right. I'm trying to Enemy of the State. Out. Yeah. Uh but you know the funny thing about that is, and I'm not gonna disparage the writer uh, or the director of this film. But a, a lot of times it seems like these kind of movies that are trying to be smarter than they are, they just go for that sort of tool of just confuse the audience and and they'll think it's smart. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, because this film is, it's not nearly as smart as it wants to be. And it is purposely, I mean, and there, I was going to be talking about one of these scenes later on, but it's one of those films also where they throw out a ton of techno babble in exposition, trying to make it sound like it's, you know, smarter than it really is. Like, you know, there's the scene where Lundgren is explaining how the whole um, witness protection program that he, that he designed, how it works. And I don't know about you, but I had to rewind it. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? How, how does this work again? You know? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was even funnier too. Like, I mean, the opening scene, it, it you know, and I don't know if we want to, you know, get there yet or not. Um, but it, it it was funny to see how the opening scene worked, where he was helping somebody, but it still required wearing a disguise. Right. <laughs> I was going to be getting there because I have a, I have. I have a few questions about that one. Um, but, you know, real quick, uh, you know, we talked about how this is uh, trying to be one of those smart action thrillers. I'm also reminded of uh, Spy Game. Do you remember Spy Game with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. But I feel like, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of came upon this uh, this this realization about midway through watching it again. This is really only the second time I've ever seen this. Um, but I feel like the film pretty much answers the question, what would an espionage thriller in the vein of Mission Impossible, but with a quarter of the budget and filmed in Canada look like? And I feel like Hidden Agenda pretty much answers that question. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you picked up on this either, but the film's entire premise and conceit is extremely similar to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Eraser. If you remember the film Eraser, the, the, whole, the whole idea is extremely similar. The only difference is um, Hidden Agenda doesn't have those awesome big super weapons and the overall fun, I feel like Eraser is just a ton of fun, and this is not. So, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I said it already. This came out in the early days of DVD. And, you know, this was, uh, like I said, this came out in 2002, I remember. And me personally, I was following Lundgren's career, as well as all the various websites that gave intel on upcoming releases, etc. And I remember <laughs> this... I don't know if this is uh, something I should brag about or not, but I distinctly remember calling up Best Buy. Um, uh, and Best Buy still sells DVDs, right? I, th- I think they do, right? <laughs> but back in the day, back in the early days, when they did sell DVDs, I remember calling them asking if they got that particular title in. And surprisingly, they did, but they only had one single copy of this on DVD. So I had to call them and ask if they could put that aside for me. Not very promising for a new DVD release, but it is, it is kind of cool to say that, you know, Best Buy had this on the day of its release, but the cover, I wanted to talk real quick before we get into this, the cover for this film is hilarious. And I remember before you watched it, I said, okay, Craig, I just have to, I have to show you what the cover looked like when this film was on the video store shelves. This is what we got. And I'll just, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get your reaction first. What did you think of the cover for this one? Um, well, it screams 2001 to me. Um, <laughs> and also, it's, you know, um, looks like an assignment an intern got at 8 a.m. and said, you need, it needs to be done by 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> it also makes it look like you're about to watch an amazing action movie. Oh, yeah, you get an army Humvee with uh, some, you know, army guys uh, manning it, and then you get uh, some explosions in the background and some helicopters. None of this appears in the film, though. So... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, and then you've got, like, uh, Dolph looks like he's undercover or something. I know! And I think the uh, tagline was, he's the government's uh, deadliest weapon. Which, I don't know if he... Yeah, I don't know, which I don't even know if he is because he's he's working undercover the entire time. So I don't think he's that much of a force to be reckoned with. But anyway, <laughs> the, the 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 other thing I wanted to mention, uh, this was actually uh, when it when it came out on DVD, uh, this was distributed by Lionsgate, who at the time were this. Uh, I don't know if you remember the early days of Lionsgate, but yeah, oh, yeah. back in the early 2000s, man, they were this scrappy little independent company who was really thriving in the world of uh, direct-to-video films, more so than their theatrical releases. I think it's really cool to see them nowadays. They're now a big studio that's rivaling the the major the major players, which is kind of cool to see. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to remember, um, they bought somebody out, too, that um, I remember the, the changeover from, you know, uh, whatever that company was to Lionsgate. And I wish I remembered, because... Yeah, I remember that logo meaning a lot to me when I watched stuff in the early 2000s. Was it Artisan? Because they bought a ton yes. of companies, but Artisan, Artisan was a big one that yep. they got. Yep, that's yeah. it, Artisan. Yeah, and I remember, it's funny, um, if you listen to the uh, the 2004 version of The Punisher, um, the, the one that came out with Thomas Jane and, and John Travolta, if you listen to the commentary on that one, the director, um, he he kind of hints at it, but... 
when he's doing the commentary for the film, the Lionsgate logo comes on screen and he's like, yeah, they took all the credit for this. But um, when I was filming it, it was an artisan production. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. And I was going to say, yeah, they also became live entertainment as well. I'm, I'm just taking a trip down memory lane here, Sean. <laughs> yeah, they uh, yeah Lionsgate over the years. That, that's a story in itself. They've they've absorbed a ton of companies. They have live entertainment, artisan entertainment. There was a small I don't even know if you remember these guys, but there's a small video label back in the day um, called Sterling Entertainment. They absorbed all of their titles. E even fairly recently, within the past ten years, there was a um, a direct to video label um, called Anchor Bay. Do you remember Anchor Bay? Oh yeah, they also put out a lot of um, you know uh, legacy titles too. Like you'd get a re release of like Army of Darkness or The Evil Dead. Yeah, they put out a lot of good reissues. Um, I don't remember a lot of their original content. Yeah, yeah, but Lionsgate now owns them as well. So, like I said, you got to hand it to these guys for them to start as 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 you know small as they did, and now they're rivaling. I think they're actually even bigger, from what I heard, than uh, Paramount, which is yeah. kind of cool to see. But you know, the film opens. Uh, you you mentioned this already, so we'll just get right into it. Uh, the film opens at an airport where a witness wearing a hilariously bad wig uh, <laughs> is running from the FBI. And we find out he is a witness to the mob. He goes into the bathroom, switches places with Dolph Lundgren, who continues to lead the FBI on a chase. Uh, what, what did you think about this opening scene in the film? Well, the funny thing is you instantly knew the guy was in the disguise. But the funny thing about it is, what was the disguise for if the FBI still knew to tail him? <laughs> right and, and that wig i mean yeah. i don't know what they're going for with that ridiculous looking wig oh no and the and the other thing about it too was um when they did the switch i couldn't tell 100 percent it was Dolph, but i assumed it was and i was like wow Dolph looks a lot smaller than he's supposed to <laughs> i mean i, I yeah yeah because the guy he was doubling seemed like a lot thinner um, and not as tall. So when they did the switch, I was like, well, Dolph should look like a, a giant muscular man. And, and he didn't, which was, I don't know if it was camera trickery or what. But, I mean, he was pretty lean in the well, movie anyway. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, um, they, they do as he's uh, as he switches places with this uh, client of his or whatever. Um, we get a little bit of action. And, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I get what they're doing. The director and the editor, they're, you know, trying to... Uh, make it look stylish and uh, edgy and all that. But if you if you noticed, and I'm sure you did, anytime there is an action sequence in the film, they throw in this tech, they throw in this techno music yeah. <laughs> and then they do this freeze frame. You have the hiccup. Yeah. Where when Dolph. Yeah. Yeah. That was totally, that totally screamed to me early 2000s editing. And uh, I'm so glad we're, we're beyond that. <laughs> at first I was like, is the stream screwing up? You know, I was like, maybe my internet connection isn't that strong right now. Yeah, it's it's jarring. I mean, it really is. And you can tell that they were just thinking, yeah, this is 2001, 2002. This looks cool. But it's, it, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, because like I said, this is only the second time I've seen this. And I distinctly remember when I bought it and picked it up back in 2002. I watched it once, didn't think much of it. It just sat in my uh, in the cabinet where I keep all my films, and it's that's where it sat for all these years. Watched it again. I didn't remember a single thing about this film, even those uh, even those fun camera tricks there. So, <laughs> uh, but we find out that uh, Lundgren is okay. So his character is Jason Price. Uh, he is a former FBI agent who now runs a network that helps hide witnesses. And so this person who we switch in places with, this is obviously his latest client who he is helping escape. And the, the witness protection network that he's created is called the Daedalus network. I, did you look this up at all as to why it was called Daedalus? I did not. I, 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 I didn't reach that level of interest. Okay. I did Craig. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I was thinking to myself, I was like, okay, this is a, uh, you know, this is a, you know, a shabby little direct to video film. Like why did they come up with this? particular name that's kind of a unique little name and so i looked it up and uh yeah daedalus um is in greek mythology okay he was an artist and craftsman um he was known for creating the labyrinth which is a complex maze located underground 
So I feel like that was clearly intentional, you know, because this network that he has created, you know, creates this complex labyrinthian scavenger hunt of sorts that the that the witness is to go on. So it only makes sense that they would call the network Daedalus. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and also interesting, uh, the terrorist organization who um, apparently is on the trail of, uh, of Lundgren's character, Price, they're, they're going by the name of Icarus, who, again, if you go back to Greek mythology, Icarus was the son of Daedalus. So clearly, you know, the writers are, uh, again, trying for some intrigue and uh, trying to be extremely intelligent with their uh, overall conceit. Mm-hmm. So, and I can tell it's not uh, it's not thrilling you any more than it did, so that's okay, you know. But I will give it the uh, the chase scene at the beginning of the film. I don't think it's too bad. I mean, especially for a uh, direct to video film. Oh yeah, and I mean, you get a great explosion. I mean, and if you look at the direct to video stuff that's you know coming out nowadays, you wouldn't get an explosion of this magnitude in the stuff today. So seeing it back then in two thousand two, yeah, and we get a couple over the course of the film. So I appreciated that. I thought that was kind of cool. So, um, yeah, but looking at Lundgren's character. So, yeah, he creates this network, you know, to help witnesses escape. That's great and all. But (laughs) this is an interesting character touch. Uh, He owns a restaurant, which he uses as a cover and a front for his witness protection program. And this is one of the things that uh, you texted me about. You said, the only thing I really remember about this film is that he passes out $50 cigars to people. So, yeah, he runs that restaurant at a loss, according to one of his buddies. Yeah. Yeah. It's struggling financially. I I don't I I wish they would have leaned into this a little bit more because I feel like like you said, we both agree. It's it has the feel of being a uh, made for TV film. I almost feel like this could be episodic in a way, like maybe they wanted this to be television show, because I feel like there's something there that they should have leaned into. The fact that he's using this restaurant as a front for hiding witnesses across the uh, the country. I don't know. It's, that, that, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And <laughs> another interesting character trait that they've given him is, yeah, so he passes out the $50 cigars. He smokes cigars throughout the film. He's very suave, um, calm, collected. I feel like this is probably the closest we're going to get to seeing Lundgren play a James Bond character. Did you pick up on that at all, that he was kind of trying to channel a Roger Moore? Oh, yeah, yeah. He definitely had that, that sort of demeanor. Um... And he locked in and uh, and definitely nailed that aspect. Yeah, so, I mean, that that was cool. I, I respected that. Um, but this is where the film, for me, I had to kind of laugh because, you know, after about 20 minutes in the film, the plot starts to kick in and the editing, for me at least, um, from, you know, excuse me, the, the, the storytelling with the editing could have been changed up a bit. So Price is in his restaurant and he is visited and help me out here because I had to, I had to really kind of, I, I had to pay so much more attention to this film than I really should have. Did you notice that for it being this oh, little yeah. direct video film? I shouldn't have to be paying this close attention. Um, yeah. But, but Price is visited by uh, Paul Elker, who is a witness under the custody of the FBI. And he is seeking uh, Price, uh, Jason Price's services because apparently there is an assassin out there named The Cleaner. And the cleaner wants this key to a safety deposit box that contains money that Elkert stole from some other people. And, you know, I mean, it's, so it's, it's a little convoluted there. But, yeah, he is coming to, uh, to request Price's services here. What did you think about um, Elkert's uh, hiding place for the key? <laughs> I, I, guess it was, I guess it was creative. <laughs> I yeah so okay so the listeners who have not seen it um it is under he's wearing a wig he's wearing a hairpiece and it is hidden under there um I don't know about you but I actually kind of miss the days where the plots MacGuffin was a key I feel like over the past ten years in film it's always been a, a flash drive so <laughs> yeah so it was no totally it was nice to see it um as a key again but what's interesting again this is where the editing I think is off. So shortly after Elkert leaves, Price is assaulted by the guys who are looking for Elkert in uh, in Price's restaurant. So we get um, you know another cool action sequence here. We get some cool hand to hand martial arts from uh, from Lundgren. Um, I, I don't feel like uh, you know Lundgren, who is a, a, a trained and accomplished uh, martial artist. I don't feel like he's gotten to do an 
you know, exhibit it a heck of a lot in his film. So it's kind of cool to see him do it whenever he get uh, whenever he's given the opportunity. Um, but again, we get some freeze frames, um, a techno score. But I have a problem with this. So Elkert visited Dolph and then left. And then immediately the bad guys who are looking for Elkert are showing up. So it's kind of like, how difficult is it to find Elkert if these guys are coming in right after this guy left? Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, actually, and let's, let's talk real quick about the, uh, the Daedalus network. So, okay. I'll let you go. Okay. Let's, let's see if you can make sense of it. How would you describe the Daedalus network? How does it work? Well, he's, it's basically like, um, cleaning money, but instead of money, you're doing it with people. So you're legitimizing them or, you know, through giving them new identities or relocating them, or it's almost like a, a non-sanctioned witness relocation. Well, and I like, I like how you said it's, um, it's laundering money, but with people. So, I mean, I didn't even think about that, but yeah. So if I understand it correctly, he gives his client a Palm pilot of sorts that provides them with directions for where he or she is to go in order to safely disappear. So it is a puzzle of sorts. I mean, so it's just, okay, the person has to go to point A, then to point B, then to point C. And this is all done to kind of further put them deeper and deeper undercover. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So here's my question for you. If the client is to go and disappear, why is why isn't anybody looking out for this client? It seems like Dolph just gives the client the, the, the Palm pilot and says, okay, good luck and follow these directions. Shouldn't he, you know, sh shouldn't this witness have like a, a bodyguard or something like that standing over them, I would think, or, or no. Yeah. You, you would think, I mean, at, I mean, like at, at that point you have to wonder what the service is really providing. Yeah. I mean that you can't do it on your own. Well, and I mean, they, they, they just gloss over how the network works. I mean, we see, I mean, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but when, whenever they refer to the network, we pretty much see two things. We see the Palm Pilot, and then we see that green screen, which I'm assuming is to be the interface for, <laughs> for, this, for this network. And that is, that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, they really just kind of gloss over uh, in exposition. Dolph gives us exposition on, you know, how, um, how it works, but they just kind of gloss over it. They give us plenty of... Uh, techno babble and we see in a montage this client go into various checkpoints in order to disappear but i like you i was thinking well how are they getting across the country i mean is it entirely by themselves or maybe i'm looking at it way more deep than it than i need to i guess probably <laughs> <laughs> but so okay so price is visited by uh multiple individuals over the course of less than 10 minutes in the film and then he's tasked with uh, helping his friend Sonny. So his friend Sonny, who is an FBI agent and former friend of uh, Lundgren's, he comes in as well. And he's also worried that the cleaner is after him. And again, like I said, it, it becomes comical in a sense because Price is visited four separate times by different parties, all again to advance the plot. Um, you said that you remembered the cleaner um most from this uh from this film what did you think about uh this mysterious assassin being the antagonist well i mean it always works when you have like a boogeyman uh and you know that you're waiting for a big reveal with and uh it's a really good way to drive us a, a story forward and, and you know and then it just becomes about the payoff so i i think the movie succeeded in 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 that aspect how cool would it have been, though, if the cleaner at the end of the movie actually existed, right? <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. No, it, it would have. I mean, it almost felt like a cheat, it, uh, you know, because you didn't really get that ultimate, you know, that ultimate reveal. Right, right. And I don't want to go clearly, you know, all the way to the end yet. But, yeah, th there's a lot of things that this film does, I, I feel, that um, – really kind of cheat the viewer. And I get that, you know, it's probably working with a, a low budget and maybe it didn't have um, a whole lot of time to shoot. I know those factors can play into uh, how a film will, uh, will, will play off, but you know, I actually had this idea for what I think would have been a, a more exciting angle. I don't know if you would agree or not, but I thought, okay, what if, what if price is forced to go on the run and disappear using his own network? 
You know what I mean? So like this way, like for example, he becomes this uh, target, and so he is having to you use the own the, the very program that he helped create to you know kind of make himself disappear. And this way, we get to see him going through these various checkpoints throughout. Um, I don't know. What do you think of that idea? That's a great idea, Sean. That that would have been really good. Because at the beginning of the episode, you said, look, that sounds like an awesome premise. I wish I had seen something similar to that. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's the other thing, too. I get that the character of Christ designed this network, but I mean, I don't know about you, but I was wondering, OK, is it a computer algorithm that is setting up all these random checkpoints and how are all these checkpoints set up? I mean, I don't know about you, but I just find it hard to believe that. A team of three, we haven't talked about Dolph's team here, we probably should address them, but that I find it hard to believe that a team of three is organizing all of this when, again, it has the individual, the client, travel in the country. Yeah. Um, but, you know, actually, I, I do like the conceit of this uh, witness protection network. And like I said, you know, I, I want to know more about it. I want to know how Price came up with it, why he decided upon this as his calling. Did you, would you have liked a little bit more backstory in terms of uh, Lundgren's character and why he, you know, what, what, what spurred this particular calling for him? Oh yeah, totally. If, if, you know, getting an idea about why he, he left a, you know, a government job to, to, you know, seemingly help people. Um, it, it definitely would have added some, some weight to the movie. Uh, but at the same time, I fear it would have added to the running time. <laughs> yeah, there was this, uh, you know, and I've said this on other episodes, but, you know, back in the uh, early 2000s, maybe in the mid 2000s, when it came to direct to videos, especially um, direct to video action films, there was kind of this unwritten law that they needed to come in at a clean 90 minutes, no more than 90 minutes, no less than 90 minutes. It needed to be it needed to hit that 90 minute running time. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so Price's character, he helps, uh, or excuse me, Lundgren's character, Price, he helps Elkert disappear. And, of course, Sonny is asking for his help as well. So Price provides Sonny with the intel to disappear uh, via the Daedalus network as well, only to later find him burnt to a crisp dead. And so at this point, this is where the plot really kicks in. Lundgren is having to retrace his steps in the network to find out how the cleaner got to him. Or so we think. What did you think of this twist here? <laughs> it's one of the twists that, um, the first of many twists that I didn't really pay much attention to. <laughs> okay. You're killing me here, Craig. None of this took you by surprise, huh? All right. So, <laughs> well, and you know going into it, okay, it's trying to be this smart man's action thriller. So you know that Sonny is going to reappear. Right? I mean, he's not just going to be yeah, know, yeah. dead and, and that's it. We, we would have at least seen that in a flashback or something, right? Oh, totally. So, at this point, Lundgren uh, goes on a quest. And uh, actually, before we get to the quest, I'm curious. Um, the team, okay? So, he, it's a team of three. He has a, uh, he has a woman working under him uh, at the restaurant who assists him. And then he has the, uh, the, the computer tech guy, the bald computer tech guy who also works for him. What did you think of uh, of Lundgren's team here of uh, no-name actors who you've probably never seen before and will probably never see again? <laughs> they did their job. Uh, didn't he have somebody else that was at least consulting for him, like um, an another guy that he connected with remotely? Like the, the black dude that was always on the computer? Oh, that's right. Okay, so you're right. It was a team of four. But see... Again, that's why I feel like this could totally be this could have totally been a television show because doesn't that doesn't that core team seem like something that would be a television show? You have your main lead, you have Dolph, he's the the hero. You have kind of the nebbish nerdy dude who's the techie behind the computer. But then you have the cool one who's the the hacker type, right? I mean, then you have the the sexy gal who's um, you know, who has the hots for Lundgren and there's this chemistry, you know, between them. I mean, this seems very similar to uh, there was that show on uh CBS a few years ago called Scorpion that kind of had those same dynamics, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. definitely would have made for a, a good, like, this could have been the pilot episode of a TV show, and then you, you then you spin it off, and then every week it's just, you know, they're, they're, they're washing uh, another person that needs to be relocated. 
I like that washing another person. Maybe that should have been the title, huh? You know, the washing crew. The, I don't know. Maybe I'm okay. <laughs> because I don't really know what the hidden agenda is. What is, I mean, who is it that has the hidden agenda here? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I, I, I almost wonder what the, that can't be the, the, the title the script was written under. The actual title, so I do know this, the actual title, uh, to be honest, I think Hidden Agenda is actually better, uh, Craig. Uh, are you ready? The original title for the film uh, was Concept of Fear. Oof. <laughs> that really goes with the let's try and make a movie that is really, really smart. That is a smart movie or attempting to be smart movie title. <laughs> so, so, you know, Lundgren goes on this quest, so what we see is he pretty much starts following the network trail to find out, okay, what happened to Elkert? Because he feels like, okay, if Sonny was uh, killed by the cleaner, then he was obviously after this Elkert guy who I also helped wash, right? Um, so he starts following this trail, and he teams up with the character Renee Brooks, uh, played by actress uh, Maxim Roy. Um She's basically, let's face it, she's the femme fatale of this piece, right? Uh, she's an associate of Elkert's who's following directions that were um, laid out to her by Elkert. Um, she is to deliver this key to Price. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's the femme fatale, right? What, what did you think of this dynamic here? It was fine. Um, she did her job. Um, one of the most awkward sex scenes um, I can recall in a movie, though, it was <laughs> as... It started to happen. I said, oh, no, this is going to happen. And then just really, they didn't need it. And, uh, ugh, unfortunate. <laughs> it's it's very unfortunate. It's very unnecessary. I mean, because, again, if you want to look at uh, the type of film that this is trying to be, as well as the various character archetypes that they are bringing into here, you have this, you know, sexy woman who's also kind of a, kind of a bad girl, if you will. And so it's kind of like, well, can you trust her? Obviously not. And you would think that Lundgren would be a little wiser in who he would, um, you know, align himself with. But yeah, there is just a very awkward love scene that has a uh, odd red lighting tint to it. It's very weird, very unnecessary, just does not need to be in the film. Because basically <laughs> what happens is Price teams up with Renee, of course, and he sends his two associates to Phoenix to follow one of the possible paths because basically the character of Elkert was supposed to follow this, you know, this path to be washed and he jumped off trail and went somewhere else. So basically Lundgren says, okay, me and Renee are going to go to this place here. And then you two go to this place, which to me, I was thinking, well, that's kind of rude. There's this one gal on his team who's clearly good, who has the hots for him. And he's just, you know, ditching her and going with the bad girl. So <laughs> that's not very likable. Yeah. It seemed redundant to me. It it really seemed redundant, and I was trying to figure out why they did it, um, other than to get two women in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the other thing, too, that really kind of bugged me about this is, I mean, tell me, I don't know if you would agree or not, but I honestly think, okay, if Lundgren is helping wash all these witnesses, and he finds out that his witnesses are turning up dead, because that's one thing that they just kind of gloss over, is that his witnesses are are dying or whatever. I think there should be, there should really be, you know, an oh shit moment. And he is on the run and he's trying to figure out, okay, what in the heck is going on? But it's, it's just boring. I mean, even Lundgren's character, he really doesn't even seem to be in a hurry to solve the mystery that's before him. He just kind of moseys from one checkpoint to the next. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely seems like the script was just checking boxes at a point. Right, right. I mean, you know, and so they do decide to find um, the whereabouts of Elkert. So, yeah, like we said, um, they break up in teams of two. And Price figures that uh, Elkert obviously is involved in the death of, uh, of, of Sonny. And we also find out, I don't know if this surprised you or not, that uh, Price's childhood friend, Sonny, wasn't so clean in the FBI and was involved with this uh, mysterious evil group known as uh, Icarus. We also start to get kind of ideas. Could Sonny, in fact, be the cleaner? And he he was the yeah he was the homeless guy, right? The guy that was dressed like a homeless. Yeah. Guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The that big reveal. 
so okay so what what did that take you by surprise any any thoughts on that reveal well i knew there was a reveal there so then it's just a matter of figuring out who it's going to be and why um and then thankfully they didn't go with you know the the obvious one where he was going to be you know the villain well and you know you know what this film does and i kind of i kind of said something similar on on a previous episode is the film it tells rather than shows you know what i mean and i, I understand that this is of a low budget and you know all of that so maybe they they were not able to pull off maybe what they probably should have done but it's it's kind of lame in an action yeah. movie for them to just tell us all of the various twists and turns without ever having showing sh- shown us any of that i mean i feel like you know they should have shown sunny faking his death rather than just having him pop back up and that that's clearly something that the budget dictated right Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so and we find out in a particularly convoluted turn of events, again, that we never see whatsoever. Um, the characters tell us all of this information. Um, Sonny was forced to fake his own death um, and uh, he was forced to fake his own death. We haven't talked about this guy, but there's this there's this FBI agent by the name of Turgensen, who he just has a disdain for Lundgren. And so um, he was forced to fake his own death by this uh, by this evil uh, FBI agent. Um, basically so the price would lead them to Elkert, thus retrieving the key, which leads to the money. Right? Did I get that right? Yeah, and, and this was the FBI guy that they um, they tracked Dolph and and Renee, to, or Jason and Renee, to his, his house, and they did that escape, that, like, underground escape. That was the FBI guy, right? Right, right. Where they, like, gassed him out? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and okay, so I just wanted to make sure I was thinking of the right character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get, I mean, like I said, you get some fairly decent action sequences. I mean, you get one where, um, where Pr- uh, Price and uh, the Renee character they team up to, you know, battle some of the bad guys who are trying to ambush them, and then you get another one where Price and Sonny are right when uh, Price finds out that you know Sonny is the homeless guy, um, they're ambushed by a bunch of nameless bad guys with automatic firepower and again you get some hilariously bad techno music but yeah i i i can't knock it too much it looks cool right yeah and they loved breaking windows in this movie it seemed like uh i don't know if they had they got a deal on like you know breakaway glass or something but you know when they're getting gas they're smoked out or whatever he says break a window as opposed to open a window um and there were a lot of shots through the glass. I don't even think we talked about the um the what was it, the district attorney or it was um the guy that was supposed to testify um that got assassinated and they sat him down right in direct sight of a window. <laughs> well, and I mean and th- that whole thing was that that whole scene was just weird to me too because this court case is happening what is like in the middle of the night. Or whatever. I mean, that just seems kind of odd. Yeah. And have you have you ever seen have you ever seen a courtroom that has that many windows? I know. <laughs> you know, like it seemed like it was supposed to be a secret deposition, but you think you'd do that below ground as opposed to like on the eighth or ninth floor of a building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that it, was it, just kind of odd. I mean, I mean, there was the television show Night Court, so I guess I guess there are court cases that happen in the. Uh, in the evenings and whatnot, I would assume. But yeah, that was just an odd, I mean, if, if that witness is as high profile as he is, then they're not going to be having that case with that many windows with that in that particular location. Right. Yeah. And that was really like sort of the most unforgivable, um, you you know, action scene in that movie, because I I don't want to say it was lazy, but the setup was just, I, I don't know if they didn't have the budget to do something more intricate, but I could totally telegraph when they brought that guy in and it, and you see that window and you're like, this is such a weird place to have a window and to sit him right in front of it. Like it, it, it that sequence overall really bothered me. It, it, it was the only act, you know, quote unquote action scene in the movie that really, you know, I, 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 I thought, you know, really exposed the movie for what it was. Well, now, what did you think about the uh, the climax? Because I guess we can get to the, to the climax right now in, in this film. Price and Sonny, they find Elkert in his hiding spot, 
And so the climax, it's pretty much huge, massive shootout that takes place um, at a mansion in the woods. And so, yeah, we get a massive shootout between Price and Sonny and Elkert and the bad guys, who I'm assuming are the terrorist group Icarus. They never really lean into that and give us a whole lot of uh, information on that. And then Renee comes back, who apparently the character of Renee, not much of a surprise as well, who apparently has been playing everyone and is attempting to now kill Elkert. I mean, and then the FBI shows up. It's what did you uh, help me make sense of this? What did you think of the final shootout? Well, I, I can't help you make sense of it, unfortunately, but I okay. mean, it, it, was, <laughs> it was pretty standard fare. I mean, it kept my attention, uh, but it was really akin to like the cinematic version of just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. Yeah, that that's an excellent way of putting it. Yeah, because I mean, and this time we should probably say Sonny is shot dead this time for real. So that character does really die this time. But uh, okay, so we get our final twist in the film. Okay. What is going on with the cleaner? I mean, because I know this is your first time seeing the film, so I'm just curious. Uh, what? How would you describe the final twist in the film with regard to the cleaner and why everything was going down the way it was? <laughs> I, I'm not even sure I put too much thought into it, um, other than the you know the idea that it was you know uh, you know fabricated or whatever, but. Uh, in in all honesty, Sean, this was a movie that once it ended, I I didn't think too much about it, other than the fact that I knew I was going to sit down to talk about it with you. <laughs> all right, well, Craig, let me let me enlighten you then. Okay, uh, <laughs> it it turns out that, and again, from what I can gather, it turns out okay, Elkert, the guy who Lundgren helped wash the the, the first one who he helped wash uh, in the beginning of the film. Um, he knew about a weapons deal that the FBI was brokering. And again, I should probably say, this is all told in dialogue, okay? We don't get to see any of this. It's just one person speaking to another person, which I don't know about, I don't know about you, but that is boring. Um, but yeah. uh, it, it turns out, yeah, Elkert knew about this deal. Um, and Sonny, okay, Lundgren's friend, was setting it up. And the deal was being made with the group Icarus. Um, and the cleaner, the the assassin, who everybody was afraid of and who appeared to be our main antagonist, didn't really exist. This uh, this fictional assassin, which I guess he's not fictional. He did still kill someone, um, but he was created purely for the purpose of to get Elkert to run, to seek out Price so that they could get to him without the FBI knowing. I don't know about you, but that is a very convoluted, tricky plan. I mean... They had to have a lot of balls in motion and everything to make sure that... Oh, only, only in a movie. Only in a movie would that happen. That... <laughs> and, I mean, it's very clear from the get-go, as soon as you watch this film, that there are going to be some shady figures within the FBI. So this was not much of a surprise at all. But um, once this entire thing is revealed, Price makes the decision... He decides to shut down the Daedalus network once and for all and disappear himself. Uh, Craig, I'll go to you first. What, what did you think of this ending? It, I think it was the the proper ending for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to see more of the Daedalus network? I mean, he just shuts it down and, you know, closes it out. I mean, what about the other witnesses who are still out there? But I mean, what were they really getting from the network? They weren't getting financial support, right? No. Well, I guess the clients were supposed to be paying them, but it wasn't enough to keep the restaurant running, right? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, Price shuts the network down, and he and Renee, I was really surprised about this. He goes with the femme fatale. Uh, he and Renee, um, she's also now free from the clutches of the FBI and Icarus. She joins him. And they set off on a boat to an unknown location on an unknown future. And the film the film just ends, right? Right then and there. Yeah, you know, go out on top. And <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, oh boy, th this is a tough one. Because, again, this, this came out kind of during that dark period in Lundgren's uh, career. I, I, I want to like a lot of these films. I do. Um, but, unfortunately, you know, kind of when... 
you're, you're working with, with what we have, it's, uh, it, it's very difficult. Um, and I think I can probably guess where you're at on this one, but um, I'll, I'll still let you go. Craig, does Hidden Agenda get a recommend from you? Oof. Well, if you're listening to this show, <laughs> you're because and I, and not and I'm going to interrupt you real quick, but correct me if I'm wrong. This you haven't seen much Dolph um, in that '90s, early 2000s period, right? No. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I I could give this a recommend. Um, I'd have to be really hard pressed um or really really bored um <laughs> to, to, to to find a reason to watch this over watching another golf movie again um yeah i mean there's nothing spectacular enough about any of the action sequence to um to recommend it and you know Dolph's performance is fine, but there's not there's not even anything in the performance other than uh, that ridiculous disguise, which you can see in the first two minutes of the movie anyway. Um, so maybe I recommend watching that the, the opening airport scene and then stop it and uh, and you've gotten your you've gotten everything this movie's going to give you. Well, and he okay, so I highly recommend because there are a ton on Prime. There are also a ton of uh, his films from this period on Two uh, B TV as well, uh, which is another uh, a free streaming app um, that are, you know, granted, they are direct-to-video. They did, you know, kind of go under the radar like this one did, um, but are the, that are actually quite good. Um, there is one called Direct Action that is a lot of fun. That one is pretty cool. And then there's another one. I would, I, I would say it's probably one of his big comeback roles, even though it is still direct-to-video, um, but it is called The Russian Specialist. Um, it's also referred to as The Mechanic, but you want to talk uh, some pretty cool little films being done on a uh, on a low budget? Please check those out um, over this one. So please do not uh, do do not count Dolph out just yet. Um, judging by this film, because there's still some other cool films out there. Oh yeah, totally. And I mean, the main thing to take away from any of these movies is the only way to come through the other side uh, of a, a a career slump, if you will, is to just keep doing it. Um, and, you know, we talked about the, you know, at the, at the beginning of the, the episode about, you know, has Stallone had this similar, um, you know, uh, challenges in his career. And thankfully, um, for him, he had two characters that he could go back to. Um, and Dolph was never really, you know, afforded that luxury. And, uh, you know, he's ended up having a good third act, if you will, or second and a half act. I don't know what we want to what we want to deem it, but I mean, he's had a great 2019. Right. Right. Well, and I mean, you know, uh, going back to Stallone, I, 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 I said this uh, on, on a previous episode, but you know, back in 2002, 2003, I pretty much, I had kind of assumed that, um, that Stallone was done. I mean, I kind of thought that he was going the way of uh, Sean Connery where he was pretty much retired and he was, and he was hanging it up because if you think about it, he did get Carter, which I still stand by get Carter is in my opinion, one of his best performances. I know a lot of the, the fan base do not like it, but I am a fan, but he did get Carter. He did driven and none of those, those two films didn't uh, do much. And then he just kind of was kind of quietly, you know, I don't want to say disappearing, but he wasn't doing much. I mean, he had like what a cameo in spy kids three, and then he did a few of those films that went direct to video, but I had thought that he was that, that, that he was done. Yeah, and I actually think Spy Kids 3D was actually I, I I don't think that movie gets enough credit for you know for doing for his career what it did. It was a, a return to the big screen for Sly after um, a couple of of quiet years. So I think that that movie was really it important in the sense that it got him it got people used to the idea of seeing him on the screen again um and then you know sort of set him up for rocky so i i think secretly um spy kids 3d was a good choice for him um and I, i've always maintained that it's um it's an important career milestone well you know it's interesting because i mean if you look at uh, dwayne johnson right i mean dwayne johnson 
you know, a lot of people, you know, kind of classify him as, oh, well, all he does is those kiddie movies. And yeah, I would say he probably does more family friendly, you know, stuff than he does real action stuff. But I mean, if you think about it, he's also a businessman and he knows what is going to sell. And me personally, I would love to see Rock doing more or Dwayne Johnson, however you want to refer to him. I would love to see him doing more uh, Rambo type stuff and everything. But the fact of the matter is. He 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 likes to kind of play it safe, and he knows that doing a film like a Journey Two or whatever that is going to be more financially successful and will stay in theaters longer than. Uh, uh, I remember he did that film Faster, yeah. which was uh, an action film, and that and that did nothing at the box office. So I, I kind of agree with what you said uh, regarding Stallone. He he was kind of looking at the big picture there when he took on that role. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with regard to Mr. Lundgren, you know, there is this longstanding rumor um, that was really circulating around 2001, 2002, that he was hanging it up, that uh, Hidden Agenda was going to be his last film. And I, I can't confirm if this is true or not, but um, that's the rumor that was circulating, that he was going to be retiring. He was pretty much giving it up at this point, And Hidden Agenda was going to be one of his films. And, you know, you look at uh, projects like Hidden Agenda and the previous episode, Agent Red, and you can't help but wonder, it's kind of like, well, if these were the projects and the roles that were coming his way, you know, hey, I, I guess it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, with regard to my recommendation, I think uh, as a Dolph Lundgren film, it has some decent things going for it. Uh, Lundgren, has, has a, Lundgren has a really cool swagger about him in this film. I love the fact how he dresses nice and he has a penchant for cigars and wine. Um, I think that's a great touch. Uh, he gets to display some uh, solid martial arts, which he really didn't get to do in a film since uh, Bridge of Dragons, which was a few films back. Um, so for Lundgren Complete, sure, it's worth a shot. But kind of like you said, Craig, I don't think this is going to be one that I'm going to want to go back and revisit. This is pretty much a one-and-done viewing experience, which was was just kind of boring in the end. I think the whole conceit of the Disappearance Network is a really solid touch. Um, I like the idea of having a witness essentially go on a complicated scavenger hunt to make them uh, fully disappear. That was cool. Unfortunately, the film really doesn't lean into that too much. And the film is just way too overly confusing. The twists and turns are never really shown, um, but rather explained over strenuous dialogue. Um, You know, in the end, it's certainly not a dumb action thriller by any means, but it's not nearly as smart as it wants to be either. So I would say... Anyone, it's on Prime, so it's not going to cost you anything. Check it out if you're so inclined. But know that it's uh, not one that's going to be sparking uh, thought-provoking conversations afterwards. But you and I had one, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Craig, uh, so the Slycast is still going. Uh, Tell us uh, anything else uh, before I let you go. Anything else that you're working on or anything that you want to give a shout-out to or uh, what's new with you? Um, yeah, I mean, mainly, um, I know there's been um, a lot of discussions between the, the core members of the Slycast to to start doing things on a regular basis again, you know, that being the two Jeffs and Mike Kunda, who is extremely busy. Um, but in the in the meantime, I've been having a lot of fun with Doug and uh, who we mentioned earlier, and Ryan from the uh, Go in the Distance podcast, where every month we just sit down and chat um, uh a Stallone movie that was voted on by, by the listeners. And last month we did um, Expendables 2, which is a movie we won't cover on Slycast for, for quite some time based on our schedule. So uh, that's been a lot of fun, and it's kept the uh, Slycast <laughs> um, feed sort of active, um, you know, while we're, we're sort of in between, uh, you know, making regular episodes. So I'm having a lot of fun doing that. And, uh, you know, Doug and Ryan are, are, are super, super fun to podcast with. Yeah, well, I listened to the Expendables 2 episode. Thank you, by the way, for the shout-out on that one. Um, But, yeah, you said, real quick, regarding that one, you said something that I always felt about Expendables 2 that I just wanted to throw out there real quick. But I love Expendables 2, don't get me wrong, but I feel like one of the biggest crimes that they did with that film is they introduced Jet Li at the very beginning, and then they don't do anything with that character. Instead... They introduced the Liam Hemsworth character just to kill him off and drive the plot. And I feel like what they should have done is they should have made Jet Li the character to to kill off and drive the plot rather than 
Liam Hemsworth. And when I was listening to the episode and I heard you um, uh, echo that same sentiment, I was like, right on. Someone else has has seen my side and agrees with me on this one. So, yeah, it was cheap. And, and I think we off 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 there, we discussed the, uh, the fact that it was probably you know, the, the Chinese market just wouldn't have supported that idea. Which I get, but you know what I was thinking about this? What they could have done is couldn't they have had Jet Li's character get kidnapped or something like that? So maybe his character mm-hmm. is kidnapped at the beginning, and then at the end of the film, when they go rescue him, he gets in a couple fight scenes there as well. They could have done that, I would think, right? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, totally. You know, so I don't There's know. There's definitely a more creative way they could have done it. Yeah, but instead we're going to create a character who, uh, you know, has a has a girlfriend or a wife at home or whatever. I mean, and purely for the purpose of killing him off. I don't know. I thought that was kind of cheap, but yeah. In any case, yeah, totally. What is the uh, next film that you guys are going to be discussing? You know what? I don't think we've put it up for a vote yet. Um, but, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, keep an eye on uh, the Facebook or Twitter page for going the distance. Uh, Ryan normally puts up the movie for vote and it's normally open for four or five days which allows us time to watch the whatever movies picked before we record. And then uh, I'm sure, okay, when this goes live, obviously this will be old news, but the latest uh, trailer for Rambo Last Blood Hit, I'm sure you got to be pretty psyched for that one as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, getting, uh, I'm getting cautiously optimistic about that film. Uh, and it's what, uh, I think uh, from this recording, it's, it's a month away. So um, I remember, you know, us talking you know, a month or two out from Creed 2. Um, so we know how fast, you know, uh, you know that month's going to get here. So uh, definitely looking forward to it and uh, never count Sly out. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, hey, Craig, thank you so much. I do appreciate it. Like I said, I know that this is a film that was not at the uh, top of your list, but um, I do appreciate you, uh, you coming on and uh, discussing this one. And uh, I'd love to have you back. So uh, maybe if... Uh, I'm hard up for a guest or something like that. Uh, I will direct you to Prime or 2B TV and say, hey, Craig, if you have a minute, uh, you watch this film for me. So totally anytime, Sean. It's always my pleasure. Cool. All right. Well, hey, uh, thank you, Craig. And to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast.